Checking them, checking them, checking them, check. Microphone check. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do this again. Hey, friends, let's just do this again. Let's do it for the 184th time. Let's go. Let's go through the motions and let's make it count, okay? Every moment counts. Breathing in to the count of three. Exhaling to the count of 21, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Feeling meditative, feeling zen, feeling blissful, feeling centered, feeling grounded. Hello, friends. Let's do the damn thing, huh? What is the thing? I don't know, but I don't promote the thing. I used to a little bit. I used to promote it a little bit on Facebook, a little bit on Twitter, a little bit on Instagram, but I weaned off. I'm done. I don't like to post shit on social media because then I start watching for the clicks. Are they clicking like? What are the comments? What are the comments? And then you miss life. At least that's my philosophy. And then you miss life. So I don't really promote anything or post anything, but word got out to my students some of them. I've never told my students I have a podcast, but word is out. It's not intended for them. All right. This is rated R. This might be NC-17. Okay. This is TVMA, mature audiences only. This is a different side of Mr. Rosenberg. Okay. So buckle up if you're brave enough to go beyond the classroom with me. The other day I was starting class and I saw a kid still had his phone out and I said, hey, phone away and he looked at me like a deer in headlights okay okay and he put it away and then i was like but what were you looking at i went from disciplinarian to very curious but what were you looking at and he's like a podcast and another kid in the same class said rosenberg don't you have a podcast and i was like uh let's change the subject and then they all started murmuring he has a podcast rosenberg he has a podcast he has a podcast rosenberg yeah, 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 he has a podcast, it's good, it's good, it's pretty good. Yeah, I've heard it. And they all start talking right in front of me, and I'm blushing. I'm getting embarrassed for some reason. I'm like, no, 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 the class is off the rails. We can't talk about my podcast. And then I heard one girl in the corner. I heard it clearly. She said, I bet it's not really good. And it was the funniest moment all year, because the class was quiet, and then she said to her friend, I bet it's not really that good. And her friend's like, you know, he can hear you. And I was like, Chloe, you know, you listen to this podcast. And she laughed and she's like, yeah, I'm just guessing it's not that good. I was like, wow, bold. But God damn it. I respect it, Chloe. Yeah, I bet it's not a good podcast. All right. Don't hurt me. Don't you hurt me, baby. Don't you dare hurt me. So yeah, I'm getting a lot of clicks from Novato. All right, the demographic has shifted. This is now for teens. We're going to talk Billie Eilish today. We're talking Harry Styles. We're talking Snapchat. And we're talking YouTube clicks. Actually, I have learned one thing about these kids today. They're not waiting to be discovered. There's something very impressive about that. They're not waiting to be discovered Some of them are not even patient enough to be trained properly in whatever craft or artistic field they want to pursue. They just get to try immediately. I want to be a rapper. 
So I have a rap name, and you can listen to my music on SoundCloud, and I promote it on Spotify, and yeah, it's also on iTunes, and we filmed a video ourselves, and that's up on YouTube, and we got a bunch of clicks, we got a bunch of followers. I'm like, wow, you don't have any training, you have no agent, you have no producer, but you just have an iPhone and some ambition, and you get to do all of this nowadays. The amount of avenues and platforms and vehicles for these students to just express themselves and display their art, it's unlike it was back in the day, back in the day. You felt like even if you had a dream, it was a one in a million chance that any agent would discover you or what you had to drive down to LA, try to work your way up the ladder to break into the Hollywood scene. I mean, whatever it is, whatever your dream, if it seems far fetched nowadays, they're just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it on a low level. And if it goes viral, if I get enough of a following, then I could just say I'm 16 and already starting my passionate endeavor to the promised land. Yeah, I'm 17, but I'm not going to wait until I'm 22 to really pursue something. I'm just going to do it on the weekends and see what happens. It's impressive. Young people are not waiting to be discovered. There's a kid at our high school who's an incredibly talented horror movie filmmaker, and he's put up some of his videos on YouTube. They have 25 to 30 million clicks. The kid's making way more money than all the teachers. You get the clicks, you get the endorsements, you get the ad money, you cash in. And they know this. And that's when it becomes tough to sell science, math, P.E., history, Spanish, English, science, math, P.E., history. Even if it's good, even if it's great, even if you got the best teachers in a good school. If these kids do not view the diploma as the ticket to succeeding in life. If they're not buying into the system, it's not always rebellion. It's not always teenage angst, middle finger to all the adults. Fuck off. I'll do what I want. Sometimes they're pragmatic thinkers and they go, you know what? The things I like, they don't exist on this campus. I might not do the four years. Kids are falling through the cracks right now. I mean, it is a crisis across the board. I think they're impatient. I think they want to experience things earlier in life. It's not, yeah, I'll do four years of high school, then I'll do four years of college, and then at that point, I hope to embark upon a very fulfilling career. No, it's, hey, I see people doing it all the time. They see young people succeeding all over the place, and they're like, why not me? The why not me mentality, it could be reckless, and it could be impressive, and it could be both. And I realize for every kid that's making money on YouTube, there's probably millions who are just putting out garbage and waiting for clicks. But you don't need the corporate firms anymore. I mean, they still exist, but you don't need them to get discovered. You definitely don't need terrestrial radio to express yourself. You can start a podcast. If you get enough ratings, you get enough listeners, you can start to succeed. I don't totally know how to define success. I guess it's relative to the individual and what your expectations are, but... You don't wait to have a radio career anymore or wait to get your music on the radio. Now that's old school thinking. I remember watching the Jackson 5 movie and when all those kids are in their daddy's car, finally heard I Want You Back on the radio, on FM radio, that's when they felt like their careers were launched. They had to have their song played on the radio to have any sort of exposure. Radio was so powerful in this country. Actually, the history of radio is still fascinating to think about how many careers it launched. If your song got on the radio, all of a sudden, you could sell out auditoriums, arenas. You were famous. Even more recently, the Nirvana story that they got their video, Smells Like Teen Spirit, on MTV. Even at 1 a.m., there were less channels. 
more people were invested in music videos, and boom, you could become an overnight success based on the very few channels, the one in a million channels that would allow you to taste a little bit of fame, a sliver of fame. I talk to kids nowadays. What did you do over the weekend? Made a movie. Oh, you just made a movie? Because you have all the equipment now that you need? Yeah, I just made a movie. And what'd you do? Made an album. Look me up, Young Money Low. Oh, you're Young Money Low? Yeah, bitch. Okay, okay. And what'd you guys do this weekend? Well, we recorded our hit prank show. We get 100,000 clicks each show. Oh, you have a hidden camera prank show. They're doing shit. The idea of getting your video on MTV or waiting for a major film production company to discover your movie, that doesn't even exist in their minds anymore. They're barely impressed. I thought when I started this career that I'll impress some of them. I've been on the radio. They don't give a shit. I fooled myself into thinking, when I make this career transition, I'm going from sports radio into teaching. I'm going to kick in the door, and they're going to be blown away. Every day will be enthralling for these kids to have a former radio host. as a They don't listen to the fucking radio. They don't give a shit. But they might listen to this now. Yikes. I bet it's not really good. Just my two cents. Oh, Chloe. Oh, you might be right. All right, not watching a lot of TV right now. I think I can only focus on one show. In addition to sports, I think I can only go one show at a time. So finished up Euphoria Season 2, holy shit, and then went into winning time. The story of the Showtime Lakers, based off of Jeff Perlman's great book. And if you've read anything about the Showtime Lakers, it's an exciting story. How it all formed. Drafting Magic out of Michigan State, the story of Paul Westhead, the story of Pat Riley, the story of Dr. Jerry Buss. All of it is interesting. And it plays out like a Hollywood script, and it just so happens that this team is in L.A., so it really is a Hollywood feel to it. And then Adam McKay, one of my favorite filmmakers, he tackles the script and just turns it into a quintessential Adam McKay production. So I think it was eight, nine, ten episodes. I just watched the last one last night, and it was so good, so well casted. starts off so slow, but it ends strong. And when I say well-casted, the guy playing Magic Johnson is eerily similar to Magic in the way he looks and the way he talks. Even the way, when you watch sports reenactments for these biopics, it's tough because a lot of these guys can't play. And you just notice, oh, he doesn't have skills. Like the guy who played Dr. J, holy shit, didn't look like Dr. J. What was he, like 5'9"? They lowered the rims to like two feet off the ground so this guy could look like Dr. J flying all over the place but magic he had magic's moves down it was great my takeaway from winning time has nothing to do with sports or basketball though if you've watched winning time with jonathan c riley playing dr jerry bus so good it's the fact that this is the late 70s early 80s and everybody's drinking and smoking cigs at work i'm talking about in the business offices not just the owner the executives, but it seems like everyone at all times is just having a bourbon on the rocks and a cigarette. They could be discussing something very serious and then they just slowly walk to a wet bar in the corner and there's just like beef eater gin, you got Grey Goose vodka, they got Cuervo tequila. Seems like the coaches were always drinking tequila or vodka, champagne, beer, every scene. And you've seen this in Mad Men as well. You go back to the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s. And it seemed like it was so acceptable 
in so many different careers, no matter what you did for the Lakers, you were allowed to just walk around the building with a whiskey soda, a camel light, just have a conversation with someone. That was normal. Well, it's 11 a.m. I'm at work. I drove to work today and someone has offered me my first gin and tonic. Okay. Of course, the answer is yes. I'll have that gin and tonic and I'll continue doing my job. And you have a cigarette? Okay, great. And then I'll have a cigarette. It's like if I were to do this in any job, if I worked at a bank, if I worked in law, in medicine, in sales, accounting, all these professions that, of course, I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing in. But if I had any of these jobs, I'm still Josh. I'm still Josh and I know myself. And it was just so normal to have bourbon and a cigarette. I'm not sure much is getting done. Let's be honest. I I think it's just partying. At one point, were we accepting that? No, that's not partying. If they're in the workplace, that is not considered partying. It's just conducive to a solid, productive workday. And no one ever acts drunk. No one even acts buzzed. Just eight people around a conference table blowing cigarette smoke all over the place and no one's distracted? Could you imagine wherever you work, if eight people indoors were just blowing cigarette smoke all over the place and you're supposed to just have the exact same conversation and someone's filling up your glass with some whiskey and you're still just supposed to focus on whatever you're talking about? Sales, accounting, litigation, education, medicine. Doctors were doing this. Teachers back in the day. Of course, teachers were probably smoking in the halls. Teachers in the early 70s. Just a staff meeting. Hey, Rosenberg, what are you drinking? I'm having a Tom Collins. What are you having? We're doing Mai Tais. Mr. Hoffman, the old chemistry teacher. Hoffman at the staff meeting. What are you going with? Well, I'll muddle my own mint on my way to a mojito, fellas. Ha 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 ha. Hoffman delivers again. This is what Hollywood has shown me, but I don't know. Because now my generation, you're health focused. I mean, at the workplace, I can't think of many jobs today where you could just freely drink and have a cigarette indoors. Actually, I can't think of any. That sounds like hobo behavior. But back then, no. I mean, that was not hobo behavior or considered partying. So my question is, is that real? Or is that how Hollywood is showing us a different era? Is that real? That amount of people just having bars set up in their cubicles and their offices? Did anything get done in this country? Did anything get done? And why does it look so fucking cool? I walk by someone smoking a cigarette nowadays. I'm like, oh, put that out. I see cigarettes in TV shows and movies. I'm just like, oh, so cool. Can I have one? If I had one cigarette, Right now, I'd feel the need to just wash my hands, brush my teeth. I'd probably get the biggest head rush ever. I don't think I'd be ready to be around an oval table, sharing ideas, PowerPoint presentation style. I'm noticing the substances being used in winning time. I guess that's a long way of saying I'm distracted by the amount of substances, nicotine, tobacco, tons of booze, high proof booze, just being consumed and then big decisions and big conversations all day. Motherfuckers were just driving home drunk. I don't know, DUIs? You just drove home drunk. Nowadays, you read about a celebrity DUI every day. Back then, nope. 
Those letters probably didn't even exist. D, U, and I, no. You don't pull over Jerry Buss today. If the owner of an NBA team is boozing all day and driving home like, you know, Jerry was driving, swerving lane to lane to lane, that's some TMZ shit. Back then, cops just give you a little salute. Hey, all right, Jerry, go get him. Go get him. If a sick baby coughs in your mouth, are you allowed to get mad? Are you? Is it even warranted? Can you get mad? What do you get mad at, right? You don't get mad at a baby. You're not supposed to ever get mad at a baby. And you can't get mad because you decided to have children. You willingly decided to have children. So if a sick baby, after having COVID, immediately gets sick again, we could call it a common cold. I don't know what it is. But high fever, green mucus, just gross. Are those tears? Is that sweat? Why is the baby wet? Why is the baby so wet and gooey? And you don't run from a baby. You hold a baby. You nurture a baby. You hug a baby. You feed a baby. You put a baby down to sleep. You change a baby. You dress the baby. You can't get away from a baby. Anybody else who's sick, you run. Go away. Put a mask on. Don't come to work. But a baby, when a sick baby coughs in your mouth and you just go, oh, now I'm sick. And we all had COVID already, but it's not like we now just get this grace period of good health. The cesspool of daycares, these preschools that are just filled with germs upon germs upon germs. There's no cold season anymore. Oh, cold season from November to March. Nope. Cold season is every day. This house is still sick as fuck. I forget what it's like to be 100%. Welcome back to Here He Complains Again. But I do. I forget what it's like to be 100%. If I could flirt with 90%, then that's just heavenly. I mean, that's it. That's heavenly. And speaking of heaven, when I say heavenly, I think I know what's floating through your mind. Oh, Belinda, we're ready for you, dear. You realize when Belinda Carlisle delivers that line, ooh, baby, do you know what it's worth? Ooh, heaven. They needed another syllable to carry that lyric. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. And we all just go along with our day and go, okay, that's an 80s song. What's the point? Heaven is a place on earth. How do you define heaven? I'm asking you right now. Say the word heaven. Or if I say something is heavenly. Oh, to be 90% good health? That sounds heavenly. I actually use the word heavenly quite a bit. What am I saying? I'm saying that sounds great, right? So heaven is associated with greatness. What do you picture? I'm going to define it right now. I'm going to give you the definition of heaven just as I Google it up on the podcast because I heard a good point recently. But it starts with how we depict this image in our minds. So heaven According to the first thing I see on the Google sphere, a place regarded in various religions as the abode of God or the gods and the angels and the good after death, often traditionally depicted as being above the sky. Exactly how we picture it. A parallel realm where everything operates according to God's will. Heaven is a place of peace, love, community and worship. Okay, so it's good. It's heavenly. It's so good. It's the good after death. When do we learn this shit? Even non-religious people. 
are allowed to envision a heaven. This is our comfort mechanism. Death is too scary. I don't want to talk about death. I don't want to age. I don't want to get old and wrinkly and feel closer to the grave. So, hey, how about this idea of heaven? But Belinda Carlisle with this 80s song, it's not great. It's not bad. It's just you've heard it so many times. No one's dissecting these lyrics. No one ever listened to that song and felt moved. But she tapped into something kind of special. And that is, you got to love this. I'm getting so deep with that 80s song. Instead of idealizing, hey, that's when we get to go hang out with our dead dogs and deceased relatives and we get to reunite with everyone. It's a world of ice cream and pizza and basketball and sex and fitness and swimming and hot tubs and sushi. Heaven is where we just get to say all the things we love and hummingbirds and tame bears and lions that don't maul you, but you just get to ride them around and frisbee on the sand. And that's heaven with all the people I love. And that's heaven. And we're allowed to say shit like that. We're allowed. And it doesn't sound that insane. If someone was to tell you their vision of heaven, it probably sounds similar to a lot of our vision of heaven. Oh, above in the sky where we reunite with the dead people and we have fun all day. But that's the flaw of religion. Because it makes you idealize the mystery instead of embracing what it could be right here. Heaven is a place on earth. So when you feel good, that's why I like the word heavenly. You know that moment, it'll happen probably you know this weekend. At some point, you're just going to have a good feeling. We don't live in that space at all times, but when it arrives, that's heaven. That's actually what heaven is. The best way of describing that euphoria, the endorphin release, I know it's brain chemicals running rampantly all over the place. And we could talk about oxytocin and how to achieve that and from meditation to working. No, no, no. I don't know what gets you there. But when you get there, it's just a mood when the vibe is right. That's actually the definition of heaven. Belinda, how'd you do that? How'd you write an 80s song that means everything? Pete Holmes was talking about that. I was trying to remember who was talking about that. Pete Holmes was talking about, because he used to be very religious. And now he's not, but he still likes religion. He likes the messages. He likes the stories. So he could break it down on a secular level. Almost like understanding the philosophy without the brainwashing. There's some value to it. There's some moral value to it. And he said, that's where Christianity went wrong, is this whole idea of we're constantly trying to prove ourselves to be good enough to have this heavenly afterlife. Instead of just saying, today's going to be heaven. Today's going to be heaven. I'm Googling Belinda's lyrics. There's probably good stuff in that song. And I certainly don't know all the lyrics. All right. We're just Googling on this podcast. Stay with me. Can I ask you to stay with me? Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. I guess it's a love song. In this world, we're just beginning to understand the miracle of living. Baby, I was afraid before, but I'm not afraid anymore. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, it's funny when you read lyrics, they're no longer that insightful. I guess it's the passion that Belinda's singing us, singing to us with. 
When you walk into the room, you pull me close and we start to move and we're spinning with the stars above and you lift me up in a wave of, oh, it's a sex song. Oh, okay. I got too deep with it. Never mind. Never mind. This is all about Belinda humping. This is, uh, yeah, this is her sex jam. So I, uh, okay. And then you keep scrolling on Google. I don't know why I'm doing this to you, taking you through my Google search. But it's the people also ask. Oh, everyone loves the people also ask. So you could ask Google something and then it's people also ask. What did she mean with heaven as a place on earth? According to Carlisle, says songmeaningandfacts.com, the song is one that centers on hope. She added that she thought the song's lyrics tell the listener they have the ability to make their own heaven right on their own patch. Oh, so deep. You didn't know I was getting this deep tonight. You didn't know I was getting this deep tonight. Sure. Oh, heaven. It's, how do you say, a place right here on earth. Oh, sure. Celestial bodies go through the clouds. You give yourself the gift of pizza. What do you like? Frisbee. You said, ah, you said frisbee on the sand. You know, it's great if you ever discover what it's like. But instead of a fantasy, sure. How about focus on now, here? Heaven, a place, oh, on earth. Sounds great. Y'all know Mikhail Gorbachev is still alive? All right, quit acting like the guy's been dead. That's my only problem with you right now. You're listening to this podcast. You're just going along with your day. When this podcast is over, it won't really resonate. You just continue with your day. But you've been acting like Mikhail Gorbachev is dead. The guy's in his 90s. Okay, you could call him Gorby. Call him whatever you want, but show him a little respect. All right, don't just say, oh, you mean the Russian president with the birthmark? What the fuck? What are you, what are you saying? Don't minimize him. Oh, Gorby, you mean the Russian president guy with the birthmark? What the fuck? Show him some respect. Guy's in his 90s. Still very coherent. And he does interviews about Russia. And I would listen. If I were you, I would listen to this guy. There was a Pizza Hut commercial in the early 90s when he was the president of Russia. And the idea behind this Pizza Hut commercial, keep in mind, this communist dictatorship that was set up by Stalin and lasted and lasted and lasted all the way into my lifetime, finally meets its demise as a leader named Gorby in a Pizza Hut commercial is slicing up a good-looking cheesy slice, supreme, it's got veggies on it, pepperoni, meat lovers, handing it to a kid, and everyone in the restaurant, that's when Pizza Huts were big restaurants, is arguing. The old people are pissed off with Gorby. He's created political instability. He's not good. And the young people are like, he's giving us opportunities. And then they agree, well, we do have Pizza Hut now in Moscow, so, hey, Hail Gorbachev. Cheers to Gorbachev. This is a real Pizza Hut ad, and you should look it up on YouTube right now because it tells the whole story of how the Cold War ends. Gorby, hated by certain Russians who like the old school, who were already indoctrinated by Stalin and Khrushchev and Brezhnev. This is how we do it. 
Montel Jordan tells us this is how we do it, so we continue doing it this way. Montel Jordan says, this is how we do it. And then Gorby comes along and he says, political prisoners are released? Books are no longer banned? Come on, bro, take it down a notch. Gorby says, newspapers can finally criticize government? Come on, not good for anybody. Gorby says we can finally watch Hollywood movie? And eat filet of fish? Come on. No, 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 no. That's not how we do it in Vladivostok. Off with his head. The guy was forced to resign because he wanted to allow people to have private businesses. Here's where I sound like the American patriot. Just acting like our way is the right way. It's the only way. It's the best way. But as we're discussing the Cold War today in class and talking about the Pizza Hut ad, because that's how you teach through Pizza Hut ads. You realize what kind of a legend Gorbachev was. We in America should build statues of this guy. I know what my next Hollywood... Hollywood... <laughs> come on, Josh. I know what my next Halloween costume is going to be. Gorby. Give me the red Sharpie. Give me that red Sharpie. I'm going to shave that horseshoe into my head. I'm going full throttle birthmark Gorby. And I'd love to say, and then it was all happily ever after, but holy fuckface has Russia lapsed. You could easily make the argument, easily, in my opinion, that Russia's history is uglier than any. I know that's tough. You could battle me on this. You pick your region, you pick your empire, you pick your country, you pick your nation. Right now, I'm staying with Russia. You study a little Russian history. The last, oh, I don't know, 500, 600 years. Oh, suffering, suffering, beyond suffering. Just zero value for human life. Narcissism on display. Leaders who are just happy to kill humans like mosquitoes. Oh, this one's getting dark. I'm going to tiptoe away from that and just uh, say Gorbachev. Deserve some love for episode 184. You didn't think this would be the Gorby episode. You didn't think that, huh? Political prisoners finally freed. This is how we do it. All right, heaven's a place on earth. Leave a nice rating or review on iTunes, please. Pleading with you, please. Leave a really nice review. Like, even if you don't give compliments to your friends and family, find some time in your day. Of course you won't. Oh my God, the amount of people that just don't, it's fine. I wouldn't either. Is that sad? Here I am begging for your ratings and reviews, but I don't do shit like that on the podcasts I like. Maybe I should start. I can't be such a hypocrite. If I'm asking you to leave a rating and a review, I got to do it on the podcasts I like. And you know what I like? That Dana Carvey, David Spade podcast. That's pretty damn good. What else? Theo Vaughn? Not really listening to that anymore. Chris D'Elia? I don't think we're supposed to be listening to that anymore. Um, even though it's funny as shit, um, Tiger Belly, that's not as good as it once was. Don't you say that about this podcast. I don't want to hear you say that about this one, okay? We're still ascending. We're still rising up, rising up. Rising up. Hold on. I'm going to leave a rating and a review. Actually, my uncle's podcast, I've given him a rating and a review. So there it is. I've done it and I'll do it again. And I think I hear both of my daughters awake. And I thought they were sleeping, 
That means my wife has her hands full, so I truly have to say goodbye, 184, episode 184. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 